0: Take your Bibles if you haven't already done so, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, we're going to be looking at verses 31 and 32 tonight, we're in a series called the kingdom of God and it's, uh, it's an amazing series through the gospel of Matthew, we're going verse by verse and we're stopping in the major sections, we're, we're not just plowing through big, uh, big sections, we're taking it in bite-sized chunks, wherever the theme is, that's where we camp out. And we're in a sub-theme of the book of Matthew, as you know, in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been there for a few weeks now. And we come to this passage. And the last few weeks have been pretty heavy stuff, you know. Uh, You've been hearing Pastor Danny talk about murder and adultery and all those things. And I was thinking this morning, I said, you know, this is the Lenten season. Some of us go Lent, you know, we give up caffeine, we give up chocolate, we give up things. Why not give up murder, give up adultery? I mean, these would be great things to give up during Lent. Wouldn't you agree? And always. I'm just being a little silly with you, but I, I love the Scripture because it gives us so many powerful things to think about. And when Jesus, he's, he's reconstructing people's view of what true Christianity really is. He's introduced himself as the king of the kingdom, and now he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount, in this section, chapter 5, he's saying, and this is what my subjects look like. This is how they live. This is how they think. This is how they live their lives, see? And, and so he's really, he's clearing up. He's constructing and reconstructing. And I'm pointing up here because our stage, if you've been noticing every week, it looks a little different. There's a renovation going on at the end. We're gonna see something really beautiful in that. And that's what God's doing in our lives too. He's renovating us. He's changing us. He's making things happen in our lives that we could have never seen or done otherwise. Like Ray and Renee that went out and served the city in Seattle and see how beautiful God is when he's working among the needs of people. And so we learned a couple of weeks ago that anger is the root of murder. Anger leads to murder. We saw last week that uh, lust leads to adultery. And tonight we're going to look at the very delicate subject of how adultery leads to divorce. That's really what the content is tonight. Jesus is just sort of walking through this. Now, I know this is a younger generation service typically, but I know we got all ages here. But let me just, so I get the context and focus maybe on the right things tonight, just give me a hands up if you are married right now. Just anybody. Okay, wow. So a lot of you are married. Okay, good. All right. that's. right. I'm just going to stop right there. Because the message tonight is really a message about strengthening our marriages. Okay? And I know as you get in the text and look at it, in fact, let's just read it because I'm to take the mystery away of where we're going with this. Uh, 31 and 32 of Matthew 5, Jesus said, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, that's what was said. That's what people understood in his day. But I tell you, Jesus said, that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. All right, that's a simple passage. Let's just, uh... (laughs) I mean, this is crazy. This is a topic that most people don't want to get into. And in Jesus' day, the topic of divorce was really divisive among the people of God. There was all kinds of controversy with it. And what we're going to see in these two verses, I'm real simple. Here's how I'm outlining this passage tonight. Verse 31 gives us an idea of our view of divorce, just the way we typically think of divorce. I'm going to show you what that is. And Jesus actually gives, it, gives to us what it is. And then verse 32 is really what Jesus has to say about divorce. It's real simple. Our view of divorce versus Jesus' view of divorce. That's the bottom line uh, application or the, the little outline to the message tonight. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some stuff to write down. You can do it or not, whatever. I, I personally, I'm a student of the Word. I like to read things. I like to write things down. If that's helpful to you, great. Otherwise, we're just going to roll. The two things I want to show you, the two big ideas, number one is this idea of our view of divorce. And here's what our view of divorce is, verse 31. We tend to be way permissive on the issue of divorce. What I mean by that is divorce is really kind of the norm. Nobody bats an eye at divorce. And by the way, tonight, if you've been through a divorce or if you're going through a divorce, Uh, I want you to know that this message is I have prayed long and hard that people tonight will not feel shamed. They will not feel guilt. They will not feel like the spotlight is down on them. Oh no, the pastor's going to have me raise my hand if I've been divorced. No, I'm not going to do that. Because all of us are broken. All of us have things in our lives that we wish would be different. And some of us are, uh, we've been the victims of a divorce. We didn't want divorce, but our spouse wanted the divorce. Or maybe we just got off track and we went the wrong way and we pursued the divorce and now today we're going, why did I do that? That just doesn't seem right according to what God's word has to say. And so I want you to know tonight that God is not pressing down judgment on us as his children. He wants us to find life and liberty and hope and encouragement and to do the right thing and to choose the right thing and to keep choosing what God wants us to do. But there is this overwhelming spirit of of normalcy and permissiveness when it comes to divorce, even in the church. I mean it's true. I mean people just it's just sort of a a, a reality that is among us. It's funny as you go through the, the pages of history, you can see where there's been seasons where divorce was super normalized. Uh, In God's word you see it super normalized all the way back to the time of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy where he has to make this incredibly uh, strong uh, sort of stop block for the way divorce was going. And we're going to actually look at that text tonight. Divorce was so normal. Uh, when we come even to the New Testament text here with Jesus, divorce was very normal. The, uh, the church at Corinth was experiencing issues with divorce and they had questions and they weren't really handling it right. The Apostle Paul has to address it there too. And even in our modern day, divorce seems to be sort of a normalized thing, but it's not always been the case. Even in modern, sort of modern civilizations, uh, divorce has been a difficult thing. In fact, looking through church history, I was reminded of the story of King Henry VIII. You know, 16th century, king of England. You remember his situation. He, he was not happy with Catherine of Aragon, uh, his first wife, because she had not provided a, a rightful heir to the throne. They'd only had girls, and he wanted to have a son so that he would have an heir for the throne. So he petitioned the pope, Pope Pius II at the time, to annul the marriage, and Pope Pius would not do it. And they got into this big conflict, the king of England against the Catholic church. And the pope said, sorry, that's against word. I'm not going to annul the marriage. And so here's what King Henry did. You know what he did. He makes himself the head of the church and splits from Catholicism. Now he's the head of the church. No more pope. It's the church of England. <laughs> okay, so it's he annuls his own marriage. Simple. That's what you do when you're king, I guess. You know, you just do what you want to do. And then, so then he goes after the younger, prettier, more seductive Anne Boylan, and he marries her. And she turns out to be unfaithful to him. And which, by the way, come on, King Henry VIII, he was super unfaithful. He was a philanderer, a womanizer, adulterous relationships all over the place. But he wanted to do things proper, so he wanted to annul this marriage too before he executed her. <laughs> this is church history. Hello? Now, I don't know what that does for you. Some of you are looking at a little blank stare like, what is this guy talking about? What I'm talking about is it used to be, even in semi-modern times, not so easy to get a divorce. If you were raised in England in the 1800s, you couldn't get a divorce without getting permission from parliament. Well, today, it's a lot different story, isn't it? Divorce is really simple today. Divorce is really easy. Let me give you three reasons why divorce is really normal today. Number one, why we look in the church as divorce being very normal. Number one, because a lot of people are divorced. How many know somebody, close friend or family that's divorced? Just raise your hand. (laughs) Okay. It's just everywhere. It's okay. That's just the culture. That's where we're in. Precedent makes it simple for people to say, what's the big deal? Okay, that's one reason why. Another reason why is a legal pathway to divorce. Did you know that in 1969, in the state of California, you could not get a divorce without appealing to a judge and giving proper uh, uh, evidence that there was a failure—not on your part, but on your spouse's part—for a marriage to be uh, dissolution, uh, a, a, to dissolution, or a to, for a dissolution of a marriage uh, a relationship. That's amazing. But in 1969, California state law passed a law called no-fault divorce. So you didn't have to go to a judge. You didn't have to mount any evidence. You could just say, I am sick of him or I am sick of her and just drop the papers and get it done. And now it's so easy with a click of a button, you just go online and for $149, you can divorce your spouse. Simple as that. Shabang. Beautiful. Well, that that's also makes things seem very normal in the area of divorce. Precedent. Pathway, legal pathway. And here's another one, preference. I meet with people on a pretty consistent basis that go through problems and issues in their life. And by the way, I'm married, okay? I'm married. I've been uh, married for, thir- this week, 33 years this coming May, and which is a miracle because, I mean, come on. It, I, t- I say it's a miracle because I know people are married. I know my own marriage. I think it's a miracle that any marriage survives. I really do. It's the hand of God and it's simply people saying, you know, I... Uh, I'm committed to this thing because it's never, it's never always perfect. It's never always the way we want it to be. There's things, if, you, if you're married tonight, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's issues that affect all of our lives. But watch this. When it comes, when it comes to why it's so simple, a lot of, why it's so normal that we divorce, even in the church, is because we kind of want what we want. And when I sit down and talk to someone about a marriage problem, here's what I usually hear. You know, I I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Doesn't God want me happy? I mean, I hear this all the time. My spouse, he's this, he's that, he's that. She's this, she's that. And I just want to be happy. I want to have a good life. I want to have a normal life. I don't want to have these problems. I, 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 want, want, want. This is what I hear in, in my marriage counseling sessions. And by the way, I'm not a counselor, so that's kind of fun too. I tell people, by the way, I'm not a counselor, I'm a pastor, and I want to tell you what God's Word has to say. And here's what God's Word has to say. He doesn't care about your happiness. That usually pulls people back a few steps. He cares about your holiness. God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Now, I also believe, just hear me out of this, I also believe that when you are holy, you are at the happiest place you can be. The, the key to a, a truly happy life is to obey Sorry, I just spit on my Bible. You get <laughs> obey, to obey God and sense the pleasure of God in your life, no matter how difficult, no matter how weird your life has become. That's where true happiness comes from, okay? So, so with all that, those are three reasons why it's really, really normalized. So our, our view of marriage, typically, even in the church, is that we're sort of permissive with it. We've got precedent, there's a legal pathway, and it's preferentially treated, and we kind of do what we want to do. But Jesus, here's the second big idea now, verse 32, Jesus has a different idea about divorce, and his idea about divorce is that it's rarely the best option. That's what he says here. Verse 32, he says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for, and he gives this exception clause, kind of a narrow little out, Except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. By the way, this is not being uh, uh, gender biased here. This is in that day. uh, Women could not divorce their husbands. Um, If Jesus were speaking these words today, you could flip it either way to the husband or the wife. If you divorce for unbiblical reasons... If you divorce for reasons other than marital unfaithfulness, Jesus said, you make your spouse because you anticipate they're going to remarry, or you remarry, you actually commit adultery. Wow. I don't think most of us believe that. The statistics bear it out that most people in the church don't believe that. But this is what Jesus says. Now, I told you tonight this would be more about the strengthening of marriage and I want to be true to my promise. And so what I want to give you right now are four reasons or four things, action points that can strengthen our marriage based on what Jesus had to say about divorce. You say, well, where do you get that? I get that from Matthew chapter 19, which is a broader explanation of what we have in 532. So if you have your Bibles, would you go to Matthew 19, and so will I. Matthew 19, verses 1 through 4. Now in, in verse, actually we'll pick it up in verse 3. Jesus is ministering. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem uh, eventually where he's going to give his life as a ransom for sin. And some Pharisees come to him and test him, verse 3. They ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? (laughs) Okay, now let's just stop. First of all, notice that this is not a sincere question. This is a what? It's a test. They come testing him. What is this test about? Well, in the first century, there were two schools of thought in Judaism, rabbinic law, about divorce, okay? And here's what it was. There was one school of thought which was held by the school of Hillel. Just say Hillel. Hillel. I want you to remember this. The school of Hillel. Hillel was a, a, a rabbi that was actually came from Babylon. And he was uh, born in 110 B.C. And lived to about... Um, Uh, Just, uh, let's see, no, it couldn't have been 110. Anyway, early first century B.C. and lived to about 10 A.D. Okay, so he's actually been gone about 20 years when Jesus steps on the scene. But his school, rabbinical school, just kind of like a modern day seminary for us, but for rabbis, Jewish leaders that were going to teach the people of God, his school held uh, to various parts of the the Torah, the, the law of God, uh, in ways different than the other primary school of thought in Jesus' day, which was the school of Rabbi Shammai. Say the word Shammai. Shammai. So you had Hillel and Shammai. And there was in the, in the Jewish Talmud, which is about 6,000 pages of commentary on the law of God, there are over 300 conflicts between the way the school of Hillel looked at the, uh, the interpretation of the law as compared to the school of Shammai. And when it came to divorce... Hillel said basically this, if you got up in the morning and were uh, not happy with your wife, and again, remember in this culture, women didn't have a choice, women always get the shaft. Seriously, women all through history have been mistreated on the issue of marriage rights and divorce rights, all the way through. And by by the way, what Jesus is doing here is he's protecting women, by the way. And so uh, the school of Hillel said, you know, if you're displeased with your wife uh, you can just give her the certificate of divorce and send her away. If you wake up and look at her and say, yeah, you know, you're not as pretty as you used to be, you're out. You could do that. The school of Hillel was okay with that. You, you're having breakfast and you, she burns the toast and, you, and because she's making you breakfast, why, I don't know. But anyway, she's making it for you. And you don't like it, you can just say, hit the road. I'm getting a new wife. That's that's the school of Hillel. I'm being a little exaggerative but I'm, I'm, the basic school of Hillel was very liberal. It's, it was your own preference and choice. The school of Shammai, on the other hand, was rigid and they, rigid to the law of God, which said that you could not send a wife away unless she had been proven to be unfaithful to you in some way. Now, the Jewish Sanhedrin always sided with Hillel when matters conflicted with Shammai, the school of Shammai. And here it's interesting, they're trying to test Jesus into a place of choosing a position that would put him at odds with the people. And I think they did this on purpose because they figured that Jesus would go the conservative route, which he does. He takes it to the ultimate conservative route. And he says, in fact, if you, if you divorce your wife for any other reason besides unfaithfulness, you're actually committing adultery. And so will she when she remarries. Because she will get remarried because she can't survive in this, in this uh, economy without a marriage. Jesus is protecting women in this case. And he's saying that this is exactly the standard. So divorce is rarely the the right option, according to Jesus. Now, so they ask him this question, they're testing him, and look at how Jesus answers their question. Verse 4, he says... He says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them both male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, you know, I look at that and I go, Wow, Jesus is a genius. He didn't even answer their question, he asked them a question. And he says, Do you re- have you read, have you not seen this? Now here's, here's where I want to get into the four action points from Matthew 19 about how to deal with a troubled marriage if you're in one right now. Number one, Jesus approaches this whole subject by saying, reinvest in God's design for marriage. He pulls the question back and he says, this is what's God's design. God's design is for a male and a female. Did you notice that he takes, he defines marriage all the way, he takes the marriage definition back to the creation account. Male and female. Is that something that's germane to our culture today? Is it? I think it is. Because our culture is saying gender has nothing to do with it. Gender, we can define marriage apart from gender. Jesus attaches gender to the marriage covenant. God created male and female. Furthermore, he says, A man will leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Biblical marriage is you need to get out from the strings of your parents, you need to not depend on your parents. You, I'm not saying you can't live with your parents, you can't have solid relationships with your parents. But there are people who literally do not grow up. They are controlled by a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or a mother or a father. And a marriage is frankly doomed to survive if there is not a cutting of that parental responsibility and codependency so that a couple will live unto themselves with God in the center as the smallest piece of society. This is really important. I mean... I don't want my kids living with me for the rest of their lives when they get married. And they don't want to live with me either. And that's a God thing. That's a beautiful thing. So what Jesus is saying here, the the design for marriage is, A, male and female. B, it's leaving your father and mother, cleaving unto your wife. That means she or he becomes your one and only for the rest of your life. And it will be for the rest of your life. Whom God has joined together, let man not separate. This is a huge piece of what we view in terms of marriage as Christ followers, subjects of the king. And I would think that our culture is getting really confused by people in the church who are not simply living according to the standard of biblical marriage. We're confusing people right and left. So we need to reinvest in in pursuing and And protecting God's original design of marriage. Number two, we need to guard against impulsively ending a marriage. Verse seven, okay? So the Pharisees jump back in. Verse seven, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Do you hear this question? Why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce? Why did Moses say you need to give this person that you're displeased with a certificate of divorce and send her away? You know, I look at that and I say, wait a minute. What's going on there? So you go back to the Old Testament and you see where they're quoting from and I want us to do that just to see if you feel that their interpretation of this is the same as the way you look at it. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24. Everybody okay? Okay, that's weak, but that's all right. I'll keep going. I know. this. I told our services this morning, this is hard stuff, but we don't shy away from the truth of God's word, and we teach it with sensitivity and joy and love, but we need to teach it, okay? So verse tw- chapter 24, here comes Moses' command that the Pharisees say. Now, tell me if you think this sounds like a command. Here's what he says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he, because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce, comma, gives it to her and sends her from his house, comma, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes a wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her away from his house, and, or if he dies, then her first husband, verse 4, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. Now, is that a command to send your wife away or is that a command not to go back to the wife you divorced? It's the latter, isn't it? It's exactly right. Now, here's what's going on in Moses' day. Divorce had become so normative that Moses has to put a a plug in the hole to stop the bleeding. And you know how he does that? He says, look, everybody's getting sick of their marriages, and they're just opting out, right and left. I don't like this. I don't like that. You make me sick. And so they're just out. And Moses says... Okay, enough of that. First of all, if you're going to do that, you have to give a certificate of divorce. Otherwise, because your wives that you pushed out have to live somewhere, they've got to be able to live with a new husband, and they can't do that until they're legally divorced. Otherwise, they're committing adultery right there, and they could be stoned by the law of God. So stopgap number one, certificate of divorce. Number two, when you bounced around the neighborhood to three or four other women, and you decide that the first woman that you are with is the one you'd rather be with after all, guess what? You can't go back to her. She's off limits. That would be detestable to the Lord. You know what Moses is doing there? In one fell swoop, he's saying, number one, we're going to take care of our ladies that you abuse, and number two, we're not going to let this kind of carnage take place because of the problem of impulsivity. I'm sick of you, and I'm leaving. That's what was going on. So he puts a little brake on it and guys are thinking, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to do that now. Because I could end up with nothing. And that's really the way, unfortunately, so much of society is. We are cutting and, and, and cheating so that we can just get what we want. And God says, enough is enough. Now, Moses is not being light on divorce. He's just saying, we got to put a stop to the carnage. So, back to Matthew 19. Jesus is confronted with that question. All right. And Jesus says He says, "Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it wasn't this way from the beginning." Okay, so the first thing is we got to we got to reinvest in the biblical design of marriage, if you want your marriage—if you want your marriage to survive through tough seasons—you've got to say, "God, I'm going to come back to what you want this marriage to be." Number two, you've got to refrain from being too impulsive when the marriage gets tough. And by the way, uh, can I just give a couple? I'm doing some marriage counseling right now. Okay, never use the word divorce in your marriage as a card to either change your spouse's behavior. Or to get what you want. And never let the concept of divorce emotionally settle in your heart as an option if your marriage gets too tough. Because the moment you do that, your marriage is practically doomed. Uh, I teased the congregation this morning. I've been married, like I said, 33 years. My wife and I have never, ever discussed divorce. Ever. Ever tempted to say what I said this morning. You know what I said this morning? I said, murder. Yeah, we discussed that, but no, we haven't. The idea of divorce has never been in our conversation and I've never nurtured it in my heart. You know why? Because I know that it's God's will for me to stay married. And so my wife and I will, will tease each other at times when it's sticky, when it's yucky, when it's dry, when it's Ugh, she drives me crazy, which has only been about once or twice in my whole marriage, but I'll bet I've driven her crazy about a zillion times. So if you're just keeping score, Larry's probably the one, you know, that has caused more of the ugh, frustration. My wife is a simple, she's even keel. She just goes with the punch. And both of us, we just kind of, when we get in those seasons, we go, well, oh, we're stuck with each other. We're stuck with each other. Now, I'm not saying that marriages can go th- cannot go through terrible things that really uh, open the door for what divorce may bring. I, I know that. Marriages can be irreparably uh, damaged. And that's why Jesus says, you go out and are maritably unfaithful to your spouse, pretty high likelihood that, that marriage is gonna break. It doesn't have to. I've counseled couples um, as a pastor that have been unfaithful. One spouse has been unfaithful to the other or they both admit to being unfaithful. And I say, just because there's been unfaithfulness it doesn't mean that you need to divorce. Uh, it starts with forgiveness and then there's a long pathway of reconciliation. Are you in or out? And I'm telling you, it's, it's tough stuff. But you've got to avoid impulsivity and you do that by taking the D word out of the discussion, okay? The third thing, if you're doing an action point, the third thing is that we need to admit that our sin nature is the core of the a conflict, and that's why Jesus said, uh, Moses gave the certificate not because it was some grand way to command obedience to God. He gave the certificate because people's hearts are hard. And you know why there's divorce rampant today? Is because people's hearts are hard. I know it. And so tonight, you know, uh, we look at this and here's, here's the way you can keep your heart a little softer. When you're in those conflicts in your marriage... You need to come back to the table and ask forgiveness for things. You need to meet someone halfway. You need to compromise. You need to invest your own service and ministry. You need to love even when you don't feel loved. Marriage will just strain all the selfishness out of your life if you'll let it. Or you can let it build in your life to where you become such a miserable person to live with. Who wants to live with you? And that's where the trial gets going. Because people say, you know, I just, I can't bear with this anymore. And people have a certain tolerance level, right or wrong, biblical or not biblical, there's a tolerance level where people say, that's it, I can't do this anymore. And so often we bail on ourselves, we bail on the Holy Spirit, we bail on all that God wants to do in our lives, just because we've had enough. Don't do it. And lastly, we need to, guard our hearts against pessimism and doubt back to Matthew 19 the disciples said if this is the situation between a husband and a wife it's better not to marry and some of you are thinking that right now (laughs) better not to marry man I'm so glad I came to 613 tonight (laughs) I'm not going to get married I'm going to avoid all this problem no and Jesus settles his disciples down he says basically I'm going to summarize he says not everybody can understand this but some people shouldn't get married and I've kind of wired in that way it's all right but if God hasn't wired you that way, it's okay to be married and it's okay to enter into the adventure and the trial and the hassle and watch the redemptive work of God in your life. All right, so th- this, is, this is Jesus' view. The first big idea, it's normal in the church. Divorce is normal in the church. Secondly, it's, it's not to be normalized for Christ followers. In fact, it's rarely the best choice. And secondly, not only is it rarely the best choice, If we divorce without proper cause, and I don't think we should ever automatically assume we should divorce, even if our husband or wife has been unfaithful to us, like I said a moment ago, but even if that's the case, watch this, if we divorce outside of a biblical cause, it leads to a trajectory of sin and painful consequences in our life. And Jesus basically wants to to keep us from that. We start a cycle of, of relationship breakage in our life. We, we go from one relationship to another or we marry in, in uh, disobedience to God. We remarry in disobedience to God and suddenly we're in a, a new relationship that eventually has many of the same problems and issues. Did you know that 40% of the marriages in the United States are remarriages? And of those remarriages, 60% of those are doomed to fail too. Wow, those are huge statistics. You need to listen to that. We think just getting into an, oh, here's finally the person. This is my soulmate. This is the one I wanted to be with. And two, three years in, hmm, some of the same issues. You know why? Because you're the same person. (laughs) Now, I know that there are, you can't say everything about divorce and remarriage in 35 minutes. And maybe this will open up a dialogue with some of you to talk to a pastor uh, or to get the discussion going in a way that would be somewhat helpful to you. But the time is up and we need to kind of close things down. But I'm gonna say this in the last thing. God's trying to keep you from, from making bigger mistakes or adding to your mistakes. There may be someone here tonight say, well, I divorced and you know, I don't know if it was right or wrong, but I did and I remarried and life is great. And if that's the case, awesome. Because you know what? As a Christ follower, you need to just daily submit yourself before the Lord to say, God, um, I'm here to surrender to you. And, And if things somehow worked out, then you can just say, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for allowing me through this very difficult thing in my life. But don't presume that God's going to supernaturally rescue you from Bad mistakes that you make when you know you're not walking in the will of God. Because God does not obligate himself to do that. And so many, I know people that are living a lifetime of pain because they make continually the same mistakes. But here's the good news. God's grace is so deep and so thorough that even in those instances, all God's waiting for is for us to say, Lord, would you take over? Would you surrender? Would you have your one first place in my life like you've deserved all along and know that he's been faithful even though we've never been faithful one day of our lives. We're about to take uh, these elements of the, of the table of the Lord, the, the shed blood of Christ and the given body of Christ. And we're doing that tonight again as a reminder to each of us that while none of us have, as a Christ follower, have been faithful one day of our lives, not one of us, ultimately faithful, never Jesus has remained faithful to us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's committed to us. He's, a, he's the indemnable, uh, reliable Savior who never leaves even in our worst, darkest moment, like we sang tonight. And so you take of these elements tonight an expression of worship and praise for the God who loves us, even though we're sinners and even though we're hard-hearted at times, And will give us all that we need to live godly lives in a way that honors him. So, that's what Jesus had to say about divorce and remarriage. Let's pray.